Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Really grateful that you're here this morning. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Um, And it is just a joy to worship with you this morning. It is a joy to celebrate a baptism this morning, to celebrate Hannah being baptized. This is my first opportunity to meet her as well. So I am just so thrilled this morning. A lot of of wonderful reasons to celebrate. Um, And so thank you for being here this morning as well to to, um, support Hannah in her life in Christ. Let me pray for us as we begin and look at, at this passage of Romans together. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, um, if you look around you this morning, I know sometimes if you come into a new church like this, you might be thinking, thinking, everybody's been Anglican for a long time. They all know how this works. In fact... If you were to look around this morning, I would wager that at least 80% of you did not grow up in the Anglican tradition. Maybe I can have a show of hands. How many of you were like cradle Anglicans of some form? Spike. (laughs) Oh, yes, and Johanna. That's right. So we've got two, right? So... um, and so this is this is new, and and so one of the thing one of the joys of being a, a new Anglican church is this has been true since we started um, back in 2020 that this is a new thing for a lot of people. So we often offer confirmation classes, and those teach you kind of a short history of Anglicanism and how to live out life in the Anglican way. We have the next one starting in two weeks. So in our short history, this is actually like the fourth one we've gotten to offer because God keeps bringing new people into the church um, who haven't gone through this confirmation process yet. And if you are somebody who would like to learn more about Anglicanism or be confirmed or not sure whether God's calling you to be confirmed, but you just want to learn more or if you've taken it and you want a refresher, sign up. It's going to be a great class in a couple weeks here. It, it's really helpful to have time to dig into stuff that you can you don't have time to uh, dig into on the average Sunday service. So I hope you'll sign up for that class. One of the books that guides our time together in that class is a book is a book that you may not be familiar with. It's it's called a catechism, and the catechism gives you really helpful uh, questions about God, humanity, the nature of creation and how to live a life of holiness. There are at least 200 questions in our catechism. It's written in sort of a question-answer format, and it's very good. And, you know, if you notice in our liturgy every week, we're reminded of the greatest commandment and the, the, the second greatest commandment each week. And one of the things that our catechism is really strong on is how to help you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But one of the things that I was struck by as I read the catechism is there's not a ton of instruction about how to love my neighbor as myself, the second greatest commandment. And 
I was thinking about why that is, and maybe it's because the question of who is my neighbor can be really contextually bound, depending on your life situation and stage, where you're living. And so there's probably no easy way to systematize what love should look like to our neighbors. Um, But sometimes I really wish that we had a catechism for how to love other people well. It would be really nice to have answers when I find myself, you know, or ourselves struggling to love people well. And that is actually, um, and I apologize for having the wrong passage on the keynote. Carol did a wonderful job of reading the correct passage. Um, I'll I'll talk to the AV team later, uh, which is me. So... um, and that, so here's where Romans 12 is really helpful. And we started Romans 12 last week. We get into the second half this week. Paul's commands feel kind of like these randomly placed uh, commands in this chapter, but there is actually a loose order to what he's talking about. And when you boil it down, he's, he's creating a, categories for a peaceable and a humble community that is bound together by genuine love. And so the way I've been thinking about this passage is it's, it's functionally a short catechism on what genuine love looks like towards other people. It's a short catechism for what genuine love looks like for other people. And so let's look at what he says about love. He starts the, the, the section in verse 9 with, let love be genuine. We could probably think of all sorts of examples of not genuine love. So he starts with, let love be genuine. And then he lists lots of characteristics that outline what genuine love is. The rest of the chapter really is an outline for filling out what genuine love looks like. And as I was reading this chapter this week, one of the things that really struck me with all of these different commands as part of genuine love is how important it is uh, to have emotional health as part of our spiritual journey. If you're not emotionally healthy, it's really hard to impossible to show genuine love. And and I've heard this in a few different places, so this isn't original to me, but some people have said you you can't be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature. You can't be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature. To say it another way, you can't do the hard work of loving somebody genuinely if you're not growing both spiritually and emotionally. Emotions are really helpful indicators. Uh, Something is happening to us and in us. They're neutral. Something violates us. We get angry. Something doesn't meet our expectations. We're disappointed. We're sad. Something meets our expectations. We're happy. But immaturity is when the emotion happens and the response to it are too close together. So, by way of example, I used to work in the service industry. I saw a lot of emotionally immature people who ordered coffee on a day-to-day basis. But let's say the shoe is on the other foot. I am ordering my coffee, and a barista makes my coffee, and I notice, man, this thing is cold. I know that they just let it sit out too long, and you know, if you know me, I like good coffee. And so I feel violated, and my response is anger. Now, that's not bad or sinful. That's just an emotional response that I need to pay attention to. But then, immediately, I jump to yelling at the barista because I've been violated. Don't they know what kind of day I've had? 
Don't they know that I've had no sleep? This is just one more injustice and frustration in my long litany of frustrations today. Surely they know this and they did this on purpose to me. It gets kind of crazy, right? And, And now I am no longer humble. I am no longer peaceable. I am not able to have genuine love for that barista. You can do all the daily offices you want. You memorize scripture. You can prophesy. You can work miracles. But if you aren't aware of yourself, you don't know how to show genuine love. And then what does it matter? Right? This is similar questions to 1 Corinthians 13 that he asks. If I have love, I have not, if I don't have love, I have nothing. So emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inextricably linked. And if someone does all the right spiritual practices, but then they overreact all the time when they're disciplining their their kids, or they they often blow up at other people frequently, they find themselves constantly jealous of friends when they succeed, if they seek vengeance on other people or to emotionally punish those closest to them. You get the idea. You could think of a list of these. Then what good are their spiritual disciplines? And I do think there are great values to spiritual practices and disciplines. We need healthy rhythms. But part of that spiritual growth is the heart work of emotional health. And the reason why is because we want love to be genuine. So as part of your daily office, spend time in meditation. Journal. Think about what God is speaking to you. Pay attention to your emotions. Emotionally healthy people can hold space between an emotion that happens and the response to it in order to reflect on what their body is trying to tell them. God gave us bodies, and they're good. There's something to be listened to. So to work on emotional health, you can journal. You know, you could, you could think about what are my reactions to things? When do I notice anxiety in myself? Ask somebody close to you or, you know, coworker, how do you experience me? Um, they will, if they're honest with you, that can be really helpful data points. You can map out some of your family patterns of communication. Where do I resemble something that I've learned? And you can talk to a counselor, people who are trained to really help you ask the right questions. All these things can work together to improve emotional health as a companion to your spiritual health. And so we should look for those indicators, where they are, what they're telling us, and we should pay attention. So think about who it is that might be difficult to love for you. Have we ever paid attention to why it's difficult to love them? Perhaps they trigger something for us. Perhaps they're a drain on us emotionally and time-wise. Perhaps their theological or their political positions cause us anger. Thanksgiving's coming. Think about those dinner conversations around the Thanksgiving table. Who makes you upset and why? Pay attention and ask the Holy Spirit for help. So the response might be to put up appropriate boundaries with that person. That's a really good thing to do. Uh, It might be to sit and listen to more of their story to seek to understand more than to be understood, which, by the way, social media does not lend itself to naturally. So maybe in person is the way to go. Or something else. You get the idea. But paying attention to why it's hard to love some people. And then St. Paul says here, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Genuine love happens when we're serving the Lord and, and not something less than the Lord himself. 
there are so many spaces where serving the Lord is really hard because we're tempted to serve something in his place. We might live, I mean, we do live in a time where people can serve, let's say, partisan political interests, hoping desperately that their particular elected official is going to bring salvation from societal ills. And in these cases, people might be serving a platform more than the Lord. It's a gospel of power more than the, the power of the gospel. Or another example, we might, we might serve a God of influence, a desire to be liked by others, to have impact on those around us. I was thinking back, those of you who are preteens and teenagers, I was thinking of myself when I was a teenager. And, and I mean, really, before I was even uh, walking with the Lord, feeling conflicted about the ways that I was using my words, not, not necessarily swearing per se, but using my words to match my classmates because I wanted to fit in. And that often looked like putting certain groups of kids down or certain, putting certain individuals down because I wanted to appear like I was part of this other group. Um, I remember as another example, in, and, and so in that case, that, that would be a God of influence. Another example I was thinking about this week is when I was in Bible college and in seminary, I wasn't Anglican, I went to a different, different tradition there, but they basically told me that in, in marriage for a wife to follow God's will was to follow her husband's will. And that's really dangerous, actually. Um, St. Paul tells us to submit to one another in love, and that allows for the possibility that one spouse uh, or the other spouse or neither spouse might be following the will of God at any given time. And, and so the question under all these different scenarios, you could think of others, is who is Lord? Are we serving the Lord or are we serving something less? Anything less than Christ won't do, because when Christ is Lord, that's the foundation for showing genuine love. And so in verse 14, he moves back from talking about love inside the church. He takes a step back and he talks about love outside the church, Christians living in the world. He talks about blessing those who persecute us. He talks about being arrogant. He talks about repaying no one evil for evil. And one of the very important principles that I've been sitting with is in verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. When we leave wrath to God, we are refusing to allow the future of our lives to be dictated and defined by the evil that somebody has done to us. That's what we're doing when we leave wrath to God. It doesn't minimize, and I don't want to minimize, um, the, the pains, the wrongs that people have experienced. In any setting, you know, a number of you could tell me terrible injustices that have been done to you, and I would never want to minimize or disregard those things or trauma or pain. Um, and I'm, so I'm not saying that. But to be angry or sad because of the wrong to you is a good thing. So start there. Being angry or sad because of the wrong done to you is a good thing. These are God-given responses. That's the emotion. And then, then he says not to seek vengeance on somebody. And not seeking vengeance on somebody is a willful act on our part. Um, because vengeance takes energy. Vengeance takes time and deliberation. And that is time and deliberation and energy that could have been devoted to the work of healing 
excuse me, to the work of serving, to the work of, of um, a host of another more fruitful activities. And so the conclusion is leave vengeance to God. And again, it relates to emotional health because I can take the indicator that is happening to me and I can wait, I can pause, and I can reflect on what the appropriate response should be for genuine love. Wrath has the most destructive way of getting a foothold in our lives. And I remember hearing about somebody who felt wrong in a lot of areas of their lives. Some of the wrongs were legitimate. Some of the wrongs were not legitimate. They were made up by this person. And they they parented out of a place uh, and, and tried to love out of a place of wrath and unforgiveness. The result of that was relational fracture, the perpetuating of hurts that that person has experienced, Um, to try and make them feel better. And so don't let the evil that others have done to you determine your future. And I realize that's a lot easier to say, and it's harder to live out, but if you do the hard work of leaving vengeance to God, you will be free to live out who Christ has made you to be. Excuse me. Do you mind grabbing me a little cup of water back there? There's one. Thank you. I normally have my water bottle up here, but I forgot it. Um, so leaving, leaving vengeance to God allows us to be freed up to who God has made us to be. It also avoids victim blaming and, and being part of a, a victim mentality. So here again, emotional health, spiritual health are inextricably linked to one another. Thank you. And again, it's one thing to pray three times a day with the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And it's quite another thing to do the hard work of actually finding the places where hurt or unforgiveness lies. What people have done to us so that we can actually do the work of genuine and authentic forgiveness without being dismissive or spiritually bypassing some sort of issue. If you spiritually bypass, which just means dismiss or minimize some hard realities, then you cannot grow in genuine love. And so remember that all of this, if this feels kind of like a grab bag of uh, principles, um, it kind of is because that's how the passage flows and And that's the nature of a catechism. And so remember that all of this is sort of like a catechism for how to let love be genuine. It needs to be authentic as we live out familial love in the church. And it needs to be authentic as we live out lives in the world of faithfulness to Jesus. And so today, one of the the main things that we will get to do together is celebrate the baptism of, of Hannah this morning. And one of the aspects of baptism that I absolutely love is that it continually reminds us every time we do it um, to be that we are committed to one another's growth in Christ. If you are a part of this church, you are committed to one another's growth in Christ. Each time somebody is baptized uh, in this church, we are committing to uphold them together in their life in Christ. And so during the baptism, I'm going to ask you a question today. I'm going to ask you all, Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support this person in her life in Christ? And those of you who have been to a baptism before, what will you say? We will with God's help. We will with God's help. So uh, 
And we will. So my question this morning is, will you? I mean, really, will you? Will you genuinely love Hannah and her family and support them? And that involves doing the hard work of spiritual maturity so that you can have an emotional maturity so that you can have the capacity to have genuine love for the Zimmermans. And will you do this? And will you then love each other this way so that it extends beyond them? Will you love each other this way? And that's what St. Paul's getting at when he says, let love be genuine. It's an authentic and genuine love and it takes hard work because we have to do the hard work of cutting through inauthenticity and bypassing and the sins that keep us from living fully into our life in Christ. And so this morning, let love be genuine. Let's commit to caring for the needs of our brothers and sisters this morning who are sitting with us, who might be gone this morning, but who are part of this church. Let's serve Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and live into genuine forgiveness and trusting vengeance to God. And as we consider St. Paul's Catechism of Love, let's be a people who are marked by humility and peaceableness as we are growing together in genuinely loving one another. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, we pray for your Holy Catholic Church. Do you fill it with all truth, uh, in all truth with peace? Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.